right, all right. Go ahead and make your way back to your seats. I'll give you 10 minutes to do so. I got one laugh of that one. Beth, thank you very much. As you make your way back to your seats, I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. If you are a guest with us this morning, uh, welcome. It's really good to have you here. My name is Blake Hilgenfeld, one of the pastors here. And uh, we are very grateful and thankful that you are here with us this morning. Uh, As Jay said, if you're a college student, we would love for you to stick around after the gathering for uh, that, uh, that Connect Lunch. We want to be able to connect with you and and, uh, and lay some, some really important things out for you for the semester. And so um, if you haven't been with us as a college student, maybe this is your first time, uh, it's really good to have you. And again, we encourage you to, to stay with us uh, after the gathering for that, for that lunch. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one uh, under the seat in front of you. The verses will eventually be on the screen in just a moment. But uh, uh, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one home with you after the gathering. It's a gift from us to you. We want you to have uh, the Word of God, so we want you uh, to take that with you if you, if you need one. All right, so uh, before we jump into uh, the text, uh, let, let me just kind of say this and kind of set the stage. Uh, this morning and over the next several weeks, we are going to be looking at what are the most intimate moments in the life of Jesus. All right, so in John chapter 17, we are given one of the longest prayers that Jesus prayed, uh, at least that we have in the Bible, uh, that he prayed to his Father. And so uh, in the context of this, uh, of this chapter in this verse, uh, Jesus is gathering with his disciples. And so uh, this is essentially one of his last prayers, or maybe really the last prayer that his disciples were able to listen into and hear uh, what Jesus has to say to his father. And so this is not just a common conversation, all right? This is a conversation between a father and a son, but not just any father and son. Uh, this is a prayer, a conversation between the eternal son and the eternal father before Jesus heads down this lonely and painful road of suffering, which will ultimately lead to his death on the cross. So this is one of the last prayers that Jesus prays before he goes to his death. So think about this for a moment. If you had one last prayer to pray in your life, what would you pray about? I mean, if you knew that your life on earth was about to end, about to be over, what would flow out of your heart to God? I mean, you better believe it would be one of the most significant prayers you've ever prayed, right? And and what you would pray about would be of the utmost importance to you. So what is important to Jesus? What does he say to his father before he tastes death? This morning, we are invited in to listen to the very heart of Jesus. And we are invited to hear that which is most important to Jesus and as a result must become of the utmost importance to you and me. And hearing what Jesus has to say in this prayer, especially the first part of the prayer that we're gonna look at this morning, has the power to affect eternity for you and me. So what Jesus says 
in this very, very first part of this prayer, in the first five verses uh, of the prayer to the Father, has the power to, to change our lives forever. So, let's listen, right? Like, I mean, if Jesus is going to tell us something this morning that has the power to affect our eternity, then we need to come back this morning and think about the things that Jesus says and take our eyes kind of off the things that may have captivated our, our attention and hearts and lives this morning. And let us listen closely to what Jesus, the eternal son and the eternal father have in this conversation. You with me? All right, let's read. John chapter 17, verse one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you will do a work among us this morning that only you can do. We ask that you would help us lift our eyes off of the temporal, to take our eyes off the cares of this world and lift them up to you and see who you are and what you have done and what you promise for us in and through the person of Jesus Christ. For Father, as we think about eternal things, produce within us great joy and freedom this morning. And Father, as we think about eternal things, for those of us this morning who may not have put much thought into eternal things, we ask, Father, that you would put that, the weight of eternal glory within our hearts and that, Father, that you would draw us near to you, that you would draw us to yourself and that we would see your glory that you have displayed and the sending of your son and the work that he has accomplished for us. That we may take great hope and joy this morning in the promise that you have given to us, the promise of eternal life in your son. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So <clears throat> last week, if you were not with us, um, Sam Perry, who is a member of this church and also a professor at OU, did an excellent job kind of walking us through the realities uh, of suffering and persecution that the first century church experienced. And so to summarize his message, if I can, I'm, I, he did an excellent job, so it's gonna be really hard for me to sum up in one sentence. But if I can sum up his message, and it's, it, it's this, that if you choose to follow Christ, if you are a Christ follower, if you have submitted your life to follow Jesus, you will come face to face with suffering and persecution. Because if the world persecuted Jesus, you better believe that the world will persecute followers of him. It's guaranteed. But Sam said something that has stuck with me all week. And he said this, he said, if the world approves of you, 
If the world likes you, if the world loves you, are you faithfully following Christ? And so as I thought about what Sam said and and uh, as I have been spending time in this first part of this prayer, I couldn't stop thinking about Sam's question and how it relates to this very first part of why Jesus came into this world, the message of why Jesus came into this world. And it led me to ask this question, have we as followers of Jesus compromised? Have we compromised the message of why Jesus came into this world? I believe we have. You see, if we stop for just a moment and we listen to messages that are coming out of many churches throughout this country today, it seems that we have become so focused with growing bigger audiences and pastors becoming celebrity pastors that we give people what they want to hear and not the exclusive objective truths of why Jesus came into this world. It seems that we have turned the message of the gospel into good advice that people want to hear rather than the good news of what God has done in history to accomplish salvation. Listen closely to this prophetic truth that was given at the first century. It comes from the New Testament letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Listen closely to what it says. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and return away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Is this happening today? It seems so. Because look at what's most popular. I mean, you look at the best-selling Christian books and what do you see? You hear the message that are coming from a lot of popular churches, not all popular churches today, but a lot of popular churches. And what do you hear? You see and you hear a subjective message about Jesus that gives good advice on how he will help you live your best life now today. A message that turns Jesus into this Dr. Phil life life coach or mentor that will help you get back on track to live the greatest potential of your life. It's what you hear. So do you think that this message will ever offend anyone? Do you think that this message will cause this world to persecute followers of Jesus? No, and that's the point. Because you see, this message that is coming out of so many churches today and Christian books written by, this message does not cause the world to, not, uh, to, 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 to persecute or we enter into any suffering. Actually, this message causes the world to love us and approve of us and, and, and like us. And, and as a result, we'll be praised and glorified by men because ultimately that's what we want. We want to be praised. We want to be liked. We want good attention and not negative attention. We want glory. And so what do we do? We compromise. We compromise telling the world, our family members, our friends, students at OU, the people of this city, the exclusive and objective truths of why Jesus came into this world. And instead we give them easy to hear good advice because we don't want to offend anyone. But guys, listen closely. We've got to see this and understand this. 
that we cannot afford to compromise the message of why Jesus came into this world. Why? Because good advice, guys, isn't going to save anyone. And isn't that the reason why Jesus came into this world? To provide salvation? Isn't that why Jesus came in this world? That God sent the Son into this world to do a work that no other human being has ever done to bring salvation to you and me, eternal life to you and me and students across the OU's campus and the people of the city. Jesus Christ came into the world to do for us what we can never do for ourselves and do for us what good advice can never do for us. And what is that? Save our souls. What you need, what I need, what the people of this city needs is news that actually matters. Not a good advice, but news that will actually rescue you and me and the people of this city out of death and into life. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling us in this first part of the prayer. He's telling us why he came into this world. And we can't get this wrong. We gotta get it right because eternity's at stake. So let's listen again to what Jesus says. Verse one. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given to him. So listen, this is what Jesus wants us to do this morning. He's, he, is, he is praying this prayer to his disciples. So the disciples, the, uh, the 12 disciples, they're able to listen into this prayer And so us today, the church, his followers, disciples of Jesus, we are invited to listen into this prayer because Jesus wants us to see this morning what's real. He he wants us to see what's lasting. He wants us to see what is eternal. And so through this prayer, he's inviting us this morning to come into this place and take our eyes off of that which we think is most important to us this morning and lift our eyes to see what is most important to Jesus and what is most important to Jesus. Us seeing the glory of the Father and the glory of the Son and what they have done to bring us eternal life. For what is greater than this? I mean, tell me, what is more significant in your life today, this morning, than to think about eternal things? Listen, I am totally aware that many of you are starting a new semester. Anyone anxious about what this semester may bring? Maybe consumed by it this morning, can't get your mind off of it? How many of you are starting as freshmen at OU? There you go. You anxious to find new friends? You anxious to find a a group of people to belong to? Is it causing you to be consumed about the here and now? Listen, every one of us come into this place with the demands of getting things done this week, right? Like we feel it. We feel all these tasks that we have to do, checklists we have to do. We feel the demands of work and parenting and, and, and school. And you know what these things do? They have a way of keeping us from thinking about eternal things. They keep us focused on the here and now. And when we're focused too much on the here and now, you know what happens? You know what that produces? Anxiety, stress worry, fear. 
But what happens when we begin to think about eternal things? What happens when we take our mind off of the cares of this world and we lift them up to see the promises that Jesus makes to us, the promise that he has given to us, that he is the one who gives eternal life. If you are in Christ this morning, you have eternal life. You have something that will last forever. You have this promise of, uh, of eternal life with Christ that's waiting for you. I mean, what is greater than having this? And so Jesus is inviting us this morning to think about and dream about this life-changing, this life-altering news that Jesus has came to give us eternal life. For there is nothing that will cause you to be more happy and free this morning. There will not, there's nothing that will cause your soul to sing and soar than to see what the Father and the Son has done in history to accomplish your salvation and give you eternal life. Nothing. For if you find a person who is pursuing Jesus, longs to know Jesus, and is tasting the reality of the finished work of Christ for them, and all the promises that Jesus makes for them, I promise you're going to find a person who's experiencing joyful and abundant life. Is this you? Let it be so. If it's not, let us turn our eyes off the temporal and lift them up to the eternal and see the glorious work that the Father has done in history through this person named Jesus Christ to accomplish salvation and bring us eternal life. What is the work this Son has done? Let's look at it. Verse 4. Jesus says to his Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus says that he has glorified the Father on earth, having accomplished the work that he gave him to do. So Jesus, in this prayer, is he's coming to the end of his life, okay? And he knows it. I mean, this is what he means when he says in verse 1, back in verse 1, he says, the hour has come. And so Jesus knows what's ahead of him. He, he knows that he is about to come face to face with one of our greatest enemies as, as human beings, and that is death itself. Anyone fearful of death? Come on, let's be honest. It's one of our greatest enemies. We don't like to talk about it, do we? But it's our reality. And so Jesus comes and he's praying this prayer to his father before he comes face to face with death. And, no, and Jesus knows that this is why he came. I mean, everything in his life is leading him to this place, to this point where he's going to go to the cross and he's going to suffer death because the father sent the son to be what? To be the victor. To be the victor over death. And as a result of being the victor over death, he is the one who can give eternal life to all whom the Father had given to him. For if Jesus came to give eternal life, listen very carefully. If Jesus came into this world to give eternal life, that means that we don't have it, right? In other words, what we all have apart from Jesus is not eternal life, but eternal death. Why? 
Well, death reigns over us because sin reigns over us. They are married, and we are united to them. And as a result of being married to sin and death, there is nothing that we can do to separate ourselves from sin and death. We are joined together in sin and death in this eternal relationship. There is nothing that we can do to free ourselves from it. Nothing. Now, as a college student, I came face to face with this reality. It was a summer going into my junior year in college. And so for the first time, I came to this understanding of really of what sin was. And I know we don't like to talk about sin, but sin ultimately is this disobedience to God's authority and law. So in its essence, sin is failing to obey God's commandments and law and authority that governs our lives. And so I came face to face with this question. That if the God of the universe commands me to do something, who am I not to do it? I mean, is there any other created being who refuses to listen to God's law and commandment and authority? No. Just me. And just you. The stars and the sun, birds in the air, fish in the sea, everything that God creates, listen to his authority and listens to his commands, and listens to his laws, and does it. Now, I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you think about the word sin, but for years, my understanding of sin was essentially this failing to live up to my greatest potential. Well, if that's true, then I don't need a savior, right? I just need Jesus to be my mentor or life coach who's going to help me get back on track. Or I thought sin was a failing to, to measure up to my own standards, right, that I set for myself, or the standards that someone set up for you. But that's not what sin is. Sin is straight up, 100% proof, disobedience to a holy and righteous God. And the first time in my life, I came face to face with this reality that I have offended a holy and righteous God by making myself the ultimate authority in my life. And the reality is we've all done this. I have broken God's sacred laws and commandments that govern my life. And I finally understood this, but I also understood that God being the righteous authority that he is would not and could not just simply forgive me of my disobedience and transgressions against his law. I I couldn't just simply ask God, hey, God, will you forgive me for what I've done? And God would say, yeah, I forgive you. I'll just forget about it and sweep it underneath the rug. I mean, what kind of righteous authority or judge could ever do that? Can't. Guys, you realize that one trespass, one act of disobedience to God's law, authority, commandments that govern our lives leads to condemnation and death? Just one. I mean, this is what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 5.18. He's, he's speaking on the, the, the first man, Adam, and his act of disobedience and his act of transgression. And he says that one trespass, just one, just one act of disobedience to God led to condemnation to all men. Just one. And I, I didn't have just one, right? Like, I mean, I had a, a whole life filled of disobedience after disobedience after disobedience after disobedience. I mean, my life was one long story of rebelling against a holy and righteous God, his law and authority over my life. And so what did I do? 
I did the most natural thing I knew to do. I went out to, to make up for my life of disobedience by, by, by obeying, right? Like I, I, I grew up in church and so I went back to church thinking that somehow, someway going to church is going to keep God from punishing for me for my transgressions. That somehow, someway going to church would remove the guilt of my sin. I was still partying a lot at the time. And so the next morning I'd feel horrible. And so what did I do? I started reading the Bible. Thinking that would make it up, right? God would say, oh, that's my boy. I still had this tremendous weight and guilt. Then I thought, well, maybe acts of goodness and kindness would work, right? So I started mowing this old lady's yard. It was great for a time, but then I didn't want to mow the old lady's yard anymore. I mean, who doesn't want to mow an old lady's yard? Me. I mean, I, I did want to, but I, I didn't want to. I mean, I, and, I, and I knew that God had called me. His, his, his long commandment of my life was to love her as I love myself, but I didn't. I didn't want to love her because I love myself more. And so even my acts of goodness and kindness produced more guilt within me. I tried everything to remove it, but couldn't. Why? Because there is nothing. Listen to this loud and clear. There is nothing that you and I can do to make up for our disobedience to God. Nothing. There is nothing you and I can do in ourselves to free ourselves from the law of sin and death and be united to sin and death. Nothing. You see, the only way for us to be free from sin and death and have life is to have a perfect obedience to God. Anyone have perfect obedience to God? No. We don't. And that's not even good news, is it? Listen, I know this is really hard to hear. And honestly, it's not easy for me to tell you, but it's the truth. Because what God's word says is ultimately true. And if God has said it to us, then he wants us to hear it. And as a result, he wants me to share it, no matter if you don't like me or it, right? Because listen very carefully. If we don't hear this news, they will never, ever, ever see what's ultimately true about our lives. And if we don't see what's ultimately true about our lives, we will never see our need for eternal life. And if we don't see our need for eternal life, then we will not see our need for this greatest news. You ready for you hear this? You, you ready? This, the, the greatest news in the history of humanity, that Jesus Christ came into this world to offer us his perfect obedience, which leads to eternal life. For Jesus came to accomplish a work that we could never do. This is, this is the work that he says that he came to do in verse four, that Jesus came into this world to live a perfect life of obedience to the Father, to obey all the Father's laws and commands, to give us his perfect record obedience, which leads to what? Life. Listen to what he says in verse four. He says, Father, I glorified you on earth having accomplished having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is the greatest news you can ever hear. So hear it loud and clear. This isn't some fairy tale. 
This is the objective truth of what God has done in history through the person of Jesus Christ to bring salvation and eternal life to you and me. How did he do it? From eternity past, the Father and the Son were together. They were together before anything existed. And when the time had come, Father sent the Son into this world to do the greatest work that has ever been done in the history of the world. And Jesus Christ humbled himself and came to fulfill the work the Father gave him to do. So all throughout his life, Jesus had one all-consuming passion and desire, and he's telling us. He's telling what's most important to him. He's telling what's, what's the driving force of his life. And what is that? To glorify the Father by accomplishing the work the Father gave him to do. Jesus did not come to live for himself. He came to do the will and work of the Father, to glorify the Father. He came to to fulfill the mission that the Father sent him on. And so what was that mission? What is the work the Father gave him to do? To live a perfect life of obedience to the Father on our behalf in order to be the one who has authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom the Father had given to him. And Jesus did it. He did it. That's when you should say amen. He accomplished the work that no other human being who has ever lived accomplished for us. He perfectly obeyed his father's command. He perfectly submitted all of his life to the authority of his father. And by doing so, he glorified the father. And in turn, the father glorified the son by giving him authority over all flesh to give eternal life. This is the greatest news that you will ever hear. The only way, the only way, there is no other way. The only way to be released from this union of sin and death is to be united to the Son. And if by faith you are united to the Son, you know what you have now? You've got life. Why? Because you have the Son's work. His obedience is now your obedience. His righteousness is now your righteousness. His perfect record of keeping God's law is your perfect record of keeping God's law. If you have the son, you are united to the son and you are hidden in him. And so when the father sees you, he sees you as if, he, you, as if you've obeyed all of his commands. He sees you as a law keeper. Yes, he forgives you of all of your sin through his death on the cross. You're united to Christ in his death. And so that his death counts as your death. And, his, and it removes all of your sin and guilt for all that you have done. But it's more, you have the record keeping of Jesus. You're not just forgiven, you are declared righteous. You are declared as one who has kept the law. And so as a result now, grace reigns over you. Righteousness reigns over you. Not sin and death. Righteousness, grace, and life. All because of the work the Son has done for you. This is why Jesus came. This is the greatest news in the history of humanity. So the question is, do you have the Son? Are you trusting in Him 
and him alone to be your hope for eternal life? Are you trusting in his work, not your work, his work as the only thing sufficient enough to save you and bring you into eternal relationship with him? If so, then listen carefully because this truth is going to sustain you all throughout your life until you come face to face with death itself. Listen closely. That if you have the son, what God has joined together, nothing can separate. Nothing. If you have the son, if you are in Christ, you know what? Your eternal hope and your eternal life is as secure as those who are currently with Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the Son. Why? Because when the Son came and accomplished His work through His life and death, it has secured your eternal salvation through his righteousness or his resurrection and his, and his authority. It protects you and keeps you. Guys, you ever, you ever question? Does that question ever come up in your mind, in your heart, that somehow you can lose the eternal life that Jesus has given to you? You ever wrestle with that? Question it, doubt it? Question is, how is that possible? It isn't possible. Why? Because when the Son secured your eternal life through his life and his death, he keeps you. He keeps you. He keeps you secure until the end by his resurrection and authority. For nothing can undo what the Son has done for you to give you eternal life. Nothing can undo it. The work the Son has accomplished the fact that the Father gave you to the Son and accomplished that work for you, He is now yours and yours always. All because the Father gave you to the Son. And the Son's work is powerful. It is so powerful and it is so sufficient that He will make sure and He promises to keep you until the end to experience everlasting life with Him. That is the promise that He's made. You can take this to the bank. Stake your life on it. Be the foundation of what you believe. And listen very carefully. If you have this son, you don't have to wait for eternal life. Because what does he say in verse three, eternal life is? Jesus says eternal life is that they, 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 that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Listen, eternal life starts the moment that you come into relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this life will continue throughout all of eternity. Now, when Jesus says eternal life is knowing, it is intellectual knowledge. It's knowing and trusting that Jesus' finished work is sufficient to save your soul and bring you the obedience and righteousness that you need, the forgiveness that you need to be made right with God. It is intellectual knowledge, but it's so much more. Knowing here means relational intimacy. It means knowing like I know my Spouse, It's like knowing like you know your friend. It's real. It's experiential. It's alive. So the question is, do you know Jesus in this way? Real, intimate, experiential. 
you don't, what are you waiting for? He is the one who gives eternal life. He's the only one who can give eternal life. This isn't my advice. This is not my opinion. This is the good news of God. That today, this morning, as we sit here right now, the person of Jesus Christ has authority over all flesh to give eternal life. Why? Because he's the victor. He's the king. He is the only one who holds the keys to eternal life. And if you come to him this morning, he promises to give you everything that you need for eternal life because he's accomplished everything that you need for eternal life. And this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the one who has authority to give eternal life. Listen, do you see why we cannot compromise this message? I mean, this is the only news that saves. And and do you see why it's worth suffering for? I mean, do you see why there's countless of followers of Christ throughout history who have given up their life, who've given up family, who've given up security of of, uh, earthly riches for the sake of Jesus' name? Jesus gave up everything to accomplish the work of the Father in securing your eternal life. He didn't live for himself. He didn't live for his name. He lived for the glory of his Father's name. So the question is, will we do the same? Will we let our glory die and live for his glory? Will we bring attention not to our name, but to his name? Because let's be honest, Who cares about our name? Who cares about our name when we have a better name to live for? Listen, this isn't easy, but I'm learning to not care about what you think of me. It's tough because I do care. But I'm learning not to care. I'm learning not to care if the world likes what I say or what I don't say. And you need to learn this too. Because if we don't, We're going to be timid. We're going to be silent. We're going to care about our reputations too much. We're going to care about our name too much. And we're going to compromise. And as a result, the students on campus will not hear this news. Family members will not hear the news that saves. Neighbors, classmates, coworkers, will not hear the news that Jesus Christ is the one, the only one, who has authority to give eternal life. Jesus is inviting us this morning, guys. If you checked out, if you're falling asleep, come back. Jesus is calling us as his followers to something huge, something worth giving our life for, something worth dying for, and that is to live for the glory of his name. And that is to take the message of Jesus to this world. How is this world to see and know the glory of the Father and the Son? By hearing. And who's going to tell them? Who's going to tell them? I know you're pretty tempted. There you go, Bert. Who's going to tell them? We have this message, and Jesus is calling us to be heralds. You know what a herald is? It's someone who goes 
in front during wartime and pronounces and proclaims victory. That's who we are. We are messengers of the King. And King Jesus is calling all those who choose to follow him to go into this world and be his messengers and proclaim the King has come. The King reigns. And all who submit to his authority and his allegiance and call upon his name and turn from their sin, he will give them eternal life. That is the message we have and that he is calling us to be as his followers, as his church. So what are we going to do with this message this week? Keep it to ourselves or share it? We're going to share it. I know it's hard. I know it is. We have the message of saves and it's worth sharing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful and thankful for you giving us this prayer that Jesus, you invited us into listening to that which is most important to you and that which is most important to you is for us to see your glory and the glory of the Father and what you and the Father has done to accomplish salvation for us. And you came, Jesus, to accomplish that work for us that we could never do for ourselves, that you lived the life that we failed to live and you died the death that we rightly deserve so that we could have everlasting life with you. And you did it. You did it. You did it for the glory of the Father. And in turn, you are glorified now and for always as the wonderful and mighty Savior that you are. We're thankful for what you have done for us. We rejoice in it. We lift our eyes to see your glory. And we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.